Welcome to the Five Elements Podcast, everyone. It's been a while. It's been a hot minute. We are aiming to get these out more regularly now. Yes. And aiming for weekly. We'll see how we do on it, but it's become a bigger priority and we enjoy doing them and we know that we connect with a lot of people better and our listeners better through this platform, so we want to prioritize it. So the hiatus, unintentional hiatus we've been on is hopefully done. Yes. Unfortunately, our uh, audio engineer has started to explore new opportunities. and Which, which we're happy for. We're for. so happy for him, but he's so busy. So a small wrench in our plans, but we're back. Yeah, we're back <laughs> um, and recovering from COVID. So that was another reason why oh, we were yeah. totally out of commission for a while. Well, that was fun. Yeah, that was brutal. Yeah, I'm still sick. It's been three weeks. And we, we were both fully vaccinated too. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, even if you're vaxxed, can't be it, too relaxed. It happens. Can be more relaxed, but um, it was still quite brutal for us. Yeah. So stay safe out there. Yeah. Macro factor. Yeah. Um, yes. That's one of the ways you can support the show. So yes. um, it's the favorite tracking app that we use. It's run by the folks over at Stronger by Science, who pretty much everything they do in this space is quite awesome. They have a high standard of the quality of products they put out. And Macro Factor is no exception. It's honestly really easy to use. You can copy yeah. and paste days and uh, meals, which is a huge lifesaver. The copy-paste feature is Yo, that everything. Dope. Yeah. Oh, God. So if you use the promo code 5ELEMENTS, just spelt out with nothing fancy about it, um, you can get two weeks for free. And I think we get like 10% of whatever you're paying for the subscription, which is about 10, 10 bucks per month you'll pay if you do sign up. And it's one way you can support the show while also getting a, an awesome product that might be related to your fitness goal. Yes. And another way to support the show is to hit up an application for online coaching. Should you feel interested in working with either of us, we are accepting new clients. So if you scroll down to the show notes of this podcast, there will be a little application link there and definitely recommend checking out what our service looks like yeah. first. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's more for people who they want to get strong, they want to yes. build confidence in their bodies. And even if you have body composition goals, we definitely help people with that, but we don't make it so weight-centric. That's not our shtick. L'chaim. Plenty of clients that we are helping with fat loss goals or muscle building goals, but we do it in more of a, a collaborative manner without you yes. sacrificing your lifestyle or having to do some bullshit keto diet stuff like that. We keep it more collaborative. And, you know, our tagline is evidence-based fitness with empathy-based coaching for a reason. Yes. So we are not your drill sergeants. We will be your coach. And that's something you can explore in the show notes. Give it a shot and um, apply if it sounds like something you're interested in. Yes. And we also would love to invite you to join our newsletter because we've been having some fun over there. Um, yeah. I personally do the Monday Mindset and Dylan does... Uh, the weekly recap, which yeah. is, kind of, I, some, I'll often break down one research study in the most simple way possible. Sometimes they get way out of hand, but I'm trying they to reel that. So out of I'm hand. trying to reel that shit in. Um, uh -huh. But and it's all meant to apply for you to apply to your exercise, diet, etc., to reach your goals. And then I also shout out some awesome content from ourselves because mm -hmm. we're the biggest shills, shills for ourselves. Just shilling. Yeah, like honestly. That's what we're all about. No, I'm just kidding. We also shout out other content creators and coaches yes. making wicked content to help you. And that's all free. So in the show notes, you can apply. You can not apply. You can just sign up for that shit and we'll be, yes. in, your, we'll be in your inbox, not spamming you, but, uh, but, but teaching you, hopefully. And then always rate and share. Um, oh my share God. this podcast. That's the best way we'll grow. Um, if you feel like 
any of our episodes resonate and you have know anyone who would help, please just share it out. And that's going to be a great way for us to grow and support the show. Yeah. And honestly, your comments uh, when you leave reviews are so yeah, lovely dope. to yeah. read. Yeah, they are. They warm our little hearts so much. So thank you very much for that. Okay. I think it's time for roses and boys. Have you done yours yet? No. Okay. I have no idea. So what we're just going to make yours up. Okay. So I already wrote mine down. Um, so I'll start, I guess. Uh, Rose. My <laughs> <laughs> rose is surviving COVID. I hate that. Uh, it was brutal. Like I was, how depressed was I? Oh my God. Yo, I, Dylan, yo. Dylan's one last molecule of serotonin just depleted the Destroyed. moment he got sick. Destroyed. And I've never seen a more miserable human in my life. I, I honestly like didn't see the value in life, which it might sound harsh. It's crazy. Dude. Um, and might sound very extreme, but like I was sitting there the one day, like, I don't know. Cause you all, I lost my sense of taste and oh, smell God. and just my general senses. So I couldn't feel anything. And I was like, yo, what the hell is the point of anything? Yeah. I couldn't feel happy. I also, the worst thing is I didn't feel sad. Yeah. Like he was I felt just numb. nothing. And I, and I couldn't taste anything or smell anything. And I was like, yo, what is what is existence without sensation? Because this know. is horrible. Um, but I I also, I ate McDonald's one day. McDonald's breakfast. One day? I love McDonald's. Four, four days. Like four <laughs> he days. kept doing this litmus test of using McDonald's as like a, I should be able <laughs> to taste this, right? Like this is hyper palatable food. <laughs> like it's McDonald's. Even the bag has its own smell. Yeah. Not and for that, me. I didn't no. taste shit. No, but I can taste it now. So we're back. Sammy is back. She she took a little bit more of a topsy turny role here. She'll probably talk about that. But yeah, that's my big win. I'm happy to be training again. I took like two weeks off of the gym. My first and second week back were super low volume, but today I crushed a workout and that was fucking awesome. Yeah, and I took it slow, and now I'm finally getting back to the point where I can train. So that's my big win. Okay. My thorn is around the topic of emotional immaturity, <laughs> which is heavy. So I'm reading this book called Adult Children of Emotionally Unavailable or Emotional Immature Parents. Yeah. And you know what? I'm working through some stuff in therapy and I'm working on my mental health and realizing some of the patterns, some of the traumas I need to work through if I want to be the person that I want to be, which is yeah. never fun work. And I've talked about it on this podcast before. Yeah. So this book's been recommended to me and it made sense. Like I think like a lot of people in our generation, our parents were stunted a little bit emotionally yeah. because their parents were often survivors of war, immigrants, Basically, developing emotionally was a privilege and one that they weren't afforded and that gets passed down generationally. So me coming from, uh, I'm Indian and my father is a first generation immigrant from Africa Yeah, who had to flee from a war. And my mother is also comes from a pretty tough background where emotional maturity was probably stunted by circumstance. So... I wanted to work on that. And this book isn't just about ragging on your parents. It's about like explaining and contextualizing why these, why some feelings might be so common. Yeah. So I'm reading the book and I'm like, oh yeah, this is so true. Like this resonates so much with me. Like my parents did this, my parents did that. And I'm thinking, and then I'm like, yo, oh my God, that's also reflective of a lot of my behavior. Yeah. And I felt so called out and that's humbling to mm -hmm. be like a 20, I think I'm 28, I'm 27. 27. 27 year old man who wants to be a father and wants to be a husband in the near future and reflecting like, yo, if I don't work on this, I will just do the same shit that my parents repeat did. repeat the cycle. And they didn't know any better. They didn't have podcasts. Mm -hmm. They didn't have audiobooks super available. This wasn't safe to talk about. No. But for us it is. And to be, I want to be a generation, generational, I want to be a cycle breaker. Yeah. Um, it's brutal work. 
Not gonna lie, it's the <laughs> most discom- uncomfortable shit I've ever done. I can intellectualize things, I can work on things like that, but this is way more challenging. So that was the rose, that was a thorn, um, but as always with my thorns, there's a rose in it. Oh, here we go. I can work through this stuff, but that's the thorn. Um, Sammy B, take it. Okay, I'm gonna go with my thorn first. Okay. My thorn is for sure getting sick because I'm a terrible patient. I am a horrible, horrible patient. I am not good at being sick, and I know that. One of my favorite, most rewarding feelings that I get to usually experience on a daily basis is like the feeling of empowerment that comes from my physical capacity to do cool things and the yeah. things that I want to do. And like, I love feeling athletic and strong and capable. And for the past, Three weeks? Yeah, three weeks. Three weeks. Probably around three weeks, yeah. I've had that really taken away from me. Like, COVID knocked me on my ass. I'm still experiencing, like, the lingering symptoms of fatigue. So I just don't feel like my energetic self. Dylan um, would often describe me as a bouncy person. Oh, yeah. I'm a bouncy person by nature. During lockdown, when we weren't really leaving the house, Mm -hmm. Sam was still getting 10,000 steps per day, just pacing around our small 500 square foot condo. Yeah. Like I'm fidgety. I don't really like to sit still unless I'm actually wiped. And for the past three weeks, I've been wiped. Like I just don't have the energy I normally do. And it's really hard not to feel so frustrated by that. My rose, honestly, maybe my rose is appreciating my health more because it's so easy when you get lost in like the day-to-day minutia of your life to sort of take things for granted. And I think that health when you're young and you got it feels like a given. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it feels like a, like a non-negotiable, like I deserve this. This is my right. And it's not like there are plenty of people who are younger than me or who are within my age bracket who have chronic health issues. And I've been really blessed to be a pretty healthy person. And that is a, an enormous privilege. Like truly health is an enormous privilege. Not everybody is given that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that, yes, I've been sick for three weeks, but that sickness also gave me like the gratitude for my health. Absolutely. That I often really neglect to appreciate. Yeah, it's hard hard to appreciate something that you have not taken away from you sometimes. Sometimes you're ignorant of how good you have it until you lose it. A hundred percent. Which is what privilege is. Yes. You don't know what it's like to not have it. Yes. So you're like, what do you mean? I feel my health privilege. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Yeah. But you're also grateful for the privilege of your health. Oh, my God. So grateful. Yeah. So grateful. That makes sense. Yeah. So today we actually wanted to touch on a topic that's kind of like, I don't know, like buzzworthy, buzzworthy for the past few years. Yeah. It's been rising in popularity quite I don't know. a bit. I see it everywhere. And I want to start by saying that like from the bottom of my heart. I hate this term, but I'm, we're going to use it for a second because it's so relatable because you've seen it in news <laughs> headlines yeah. and you've seen it on social media. But to say that I loathe it to my core and it's so problematic doesn't even do it justice. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about the skinny fat dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of the topic of are you 
over fat or under muscular. Yes. And this under is context. Muscled. Yeah, under muscle. Yeah. And, and this is in the context of like for your goals. Um, and some people for health reasons, like body weight does matter to some degree to health health reasons. But yeah. as we've mentioned before, body fatness isn't honestly, it's it's probably blown out of proportion in a lot of ways. Yes. Um it's it's definitely a factor, but in the fitness industry, we act like it's the only factor. Um, and it's not. But for this context, we want to make sure that we're talking about like kind of like within your aesthetic goals and whatever yeah. goals you're trying to achieve. Is it that you're, you need to lose body fat or is it that you need to develop your muscularity yes. to achieve the look you're looking for or a mix of both? So I absolutely remember my, and I hate the term, but skinny fat moment yeah. where I lost the weight and I was like, I'm objectively thin now. I know that. Like yeah. I look in the mirror I still have body dysmorphia at this point, but I'm like, I know like logically I'm thin. It's just my body didn't quite look the way I thought it would. There's yeah. sort of this like idea that you're sold in diet culture that the solution to all of your problems is to just lose weight. And then you lose the weight and you look in the mirror and you're like, wait, visually, this is not what I thought it would be. Yeah, It doesn't feel as good. And you're like, why didn't this yield the result that I thought it would and that I was told and taught that it would. So that's kind of the crux that we hear about a lot with clients, that we see all over social media, that we ourselves have both experienced. I'm sure you had a skinny fat moment. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. I wasn't lifting. But so there's one there's one addition here. If you're yeah. someone who lifted a lot. Yeah. And has that have that has that muscular yes. frame or or some some people just naturally have it. Yeah. Um, good for y'all. Y'all are killing it. Um, <laughs> but if that's you, this probably won't relate as much because e even if you aren't training too much and you lose a lot of body weight, you'll still probably have that muscular frame, just not as much as if you were lifting. Yeah. So what happens often is people who've never really lifted, they've done a lot of cardio. Yeah. You know what? Maybe they played some sports in school, but they never built that muscular frame. Mm -hmm. And then they go through a lot of dieting. And when they get to that range, and this is Sam's an example, yes. you're like, yo, I don't look the way I expected in the magazines when people get lean. But Sam never went through a lifting phase when she was younger. She was just doing cycling. Yeah, I had no muscle mass. And I also... Um, but I started lifting when I was yeah. grade eight. So. <laughs> yeah, like I was all cardio. I had zero muscle mass. So when I dieted my way down to like objectively an unhealthy body weight, like underweight, yeah. I would actually say. Yeah. I had no muscle on my frame. Frame. I was just skin and bones. Yeah, I've seen the pictures. And it it was not what I wanted, right? Yeah, like no. we especially like as women, I find, you know, a lot of the time my clients would say, "Why don't I look like a Victoria's Secret model when I lose the weight where they just kind of have those toned muscles, but they don't look too bulky. They look toned." And Again, it's not really from like it's not just about the fat loss. Yeah. And that's the problem that I so often see that we just kind of like put all of our eggs in the weight loss basket and then we lose the weight and we're often left feeling pretty unhappy. Yeah. So for some people that can actually end up um, more on the disordered spectrum because you think, oh, maybe I just didn't lose enough weight. And that was kind of how I... And then you lose more. Yep. Yeah. There we go. So I want to use an example here. Um, yeah. So, and this is why the scale can be kind of a mess for this and why just a lot of crash dieting can be a mess for this. So say you're 130 pounds and 35% body fat. 
and you're like, you know what? I want to lean down. That would mean you have 84.5 pounds of lean body mass, which doesn't mean you have 84 pounds of muscle mass. That's just <laughs> no. lean body mass. That's your skeleton, your organs, et cetera. Yes. But you have 45 pounds of fat mass on that frame. Now, if in one calendar year, you lost 10 pounds of fat and gained five pounds of lean body mass, right? Mm -hmm. So some muscle tissue. And within that muscle tissue, you may be, be storing more glycogen, which is carbohydrate, more water, et cetera, mm -hmm. more fuller muscles. Yep. This is very realistic for someone who's less trained, untrained, or someone who's like kind of novice, but is dialing it up. Yeah. So these things are, this is actually quite realistic, especially for this audience. So your net weight and change is going to be about five pounds. Scale would tell you nothing really changed. Yeah. But your body fat percentage would have dropped from 35 to 28.4. That's significant. Yes. And that would look a lot different aesthetically, even though the yes. scale hasn't changed. And this would take a priority of lifting, eating high protein, being patient, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I actually, if you, most people who listen to this do follow me on Instagram, mm -hmm. I put up a picture of me doing this. And so is Sam, where I'm 190 in one picture and 188.8 in the other one. Mm -hmm. So a 1.2 pound difference. And I look remarkably different. Yeah. And that was after like doing a pretty strong recomp, which yeah. I could have done because it was after COVID and I hadn't trained in a long time. Yeah. But if I were to just be going off the scale, it would have been a nightmare. Demoralizing. Um, and that happens more often than not. Yeah. And people get discouraged because of the scale. So I kind of, we want to talk about that first and we'll talk about um, just some practical strategies and recomping and all that stuff later. But that's kind of a framework and probably will relate. Um, and I'm curious, Sam, what do you have to say about that? Like that topic, because you went through this quite a bit. I mean, it's really, um, it's almost jarring because like, you really do, especially as a woman who was like indoctrinated with diet culture, you really do grow to value uh, the scale as your only form of progress, right? 100%. So when I wasn't seeing the scale move or trend in any either direction, it was really hard for my eyes to catch up to my body. Yeah. It was really hard to learn to sort of like look in the mirror and accept that as just and as an equally valuable form of progress yeah. because the scale wasn't giving me the data I needed. It wasn't telling me that I was undergoing like significant changes in my body composition when all I wanted to see was the scale drop. Yeah. Right. Um, so that was a really frustrating time and it was wild. Like this is also why we preach taking those like body composition photos yeah. because wow, do they tell you a lot? Like, in being able to compare the difference of my body at the exact same weight, but in two completely different periods of time and two completely different practices, it's phenomenal to see the difference. Like it was wild for me to actually acknowledge that like it wasn't about the scale dropping. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was the ultimate reinforcement of that. Like it, the only form of progress is not just seeing that little number go down because that number turns out wasn't giving me the information I really needed. Yeah, 100%. And you know what I mean? The scale can be a nightmare for that. And it I think was. a lot of us have experienced that. Yeah. So I want to kind of explain some uh, some math, which everyone loves when I talk about math. Will all who wish to die please raise their hands? As to why your weight might be staying the same, but body fat could be changing. Mm -hmm. And this is where people get confused. My clients hate this so yeah. much. So... <laughs> Within a pound is a measurement, right? And you can do it in grams, you can do it in ounces, kilos, mm -hmm. pounds, et cetera, right? So Stones. here we, we use freedom units, which would be pounds, mm -hmm. um, but most people use grams. 
And within one pound of muscle versus one pound of body fat, you're going to have different energy, different amounts of metabolizable energy within yes. those tissues. It's because you're, you're, you store a certain amount of energy in a pound of fat and there's okay. a certain amount of energy stored within a, a pound of muscle. Yeah. So we kind of know this through macros. One yeah. gram of, of uh, fat is yes. nine calories. One gram of protein has about four calories. Yes. The gram is the same. Mm -hmm. They're both one gram. Mm -hmm. But the amount of energy that's metabolizable from yes. those two tissues are different. And that will relate to your body composition as well. In about one pound of muscle, which is a lot of water too, so there's way more water in a pound of muscle um, than there is in a pound of fat, there's going to be about 825 calories. Of, it's mostly just metabolizable protein, right? Mm -hmm. You store a little bit of fat in your protein, a little bit of carbohydrates, but mostly going to be protein and then a lot of water. But in one pound of fat, there's about 4,200 uh, calories of energy because mm -hmm. it's all fat pretty much within one pound. Um, you might hear 3,500 calories and that's because that's assuming 17% 17 of that pound is water. Mm -hmm. So it's going to put you around that 3,500 calorie range, but you're not trying to lose water, you're trying to lose body fat. So in terms of metabolizable energy, you're going to have 4,200. So if you lost three pounds of fat and gained three pounds of muscle, your net body change would be zero pounds, right, as we talked about. Mm -hmm. But you would have a net, lo net loss of fat about three pounds and your net deficit would be about 10,000, like 10,300 calories, mm -hmm. even though your weight's the same. Now, it's unlikely you're going to lose three pounds of fat and gain three pounds of muscle in a short period of time because gaining yeah. pounds of muscle is quite slow. But in this example, you would have been in a 10,000 calorie deficit and saw no change on the scale. Jesus, yeah. So that's kind of why this can be confusing for some people. And as you're more, as you're less trained in recomping, or your your likelihood of recomping is higher, so this is more common. Yeah, super common when someone starts training and dials up their diet. They're like, I'm doing everything right, and the scale's not changing. Yes, but clothes are fitting better. They're leaner, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But they're letting that scale kind of gaslight them into believing nothing's actually changing. It's so frustrating. Yeah, I see this issue. We have it written down, sort of like the crash diet paradigm. Yeah. One of the issues that I see really commonly and very much at this time of year where everybody's starting to get that itch of it's bikini season, which means I need my bikini body. And don't get me started on that. But um, Hashtag all bodies are bikini bodies. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's but a pretty problematic term. It's so problematic. But the issue that I see is that um, we get a little bit stressed and we put ourselves under these intense time crunches of, I don't just want to lose weight slowly and sustainably. I actually want to crash diet. Either that or it's the, um, I overate, I went on vacation and now I want to crash diet and yeah, get yeah. rid of, I want to undo all that damage as quickly as possible. So what people end up doing is they end up eating as little as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, they'll sometimes that is in combination with overtraining. Um, sometimes it's not. Sometimes people just eat as little as they physically can. And what kind of training do you usually see associated? Cardio, yeah. tons and tons of cardio. So they're not exactly doing resistance training in combination with this. And what ends up happening is they diet so hard and they're on such low calories and not doing the resistance training that they need to like signal to their body that like this muscle tissue is important. We need it for a purpose. Yeah. So they slowly start to lose some of the muscle mass that they've built because they're not sending that signal to their body that it's still something that's needed. Yeah. And they end up sort of, how do I say this? Like 
decomping. Yeah, it's yeah. like decomping. Like they end up well, losing. They're not gaining fat, but they're lo- they're losing fat, but losing more yes. muscle than they would want. Yes. So the scale goes down, but their body fat percentage actually slowly starts to creep up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or hold sta- steady. Yeah. If you if it holds if it, it holds steady and goes down, that's also not good. I like no. If you're losing body fat, you want the percentage to go mm-hmm. down. Yeah. No, but sometimes they'll just see a significant drop that's like especially as a woman hormonally this can get a little bit murky so it's just one of those problematic practices that usually um guarantees that you'll spin your wheels and repeat the cycle over and over and over again 100 percent. we see it quite commonly well basically everything sam just said is the exact opposite of recommendations we're going to give for maximizing recomping or um, building muscle, right? Yeah. So people are going to be doing a lot of cardio, which cardio mm-hmm. is great. But if you're trying to maintain lean mass and mm-hmm. build lean mass, the meat and potatoes of your workout program should be resistance training. Yes. But when people diet, more often than not, this is changing though. Yeah. Um, but more often than not, a lot of cardio is being done mm-hmm. and a lot of cardio on low calories. And mm-hmm. if it's super low calories, it probably means low protein just by proxy of eating yeah. less food less protein, less calories, mm-hmm. excess cardio, mm-hmm. all of those are going to increase the likelihood that you'll lose more lean mass. The perfect storm. Now, unless you're super lean, you're still going to probably lose more fat mass than lean mass, but you mm-hmm. want to minimize, you want to yes. maximize that ratio. So it's basically all, even though in most cases body it's not going to be, but yeah. you want it to be basically all body fat. And the strategy Sam just talked about is going to increase the likelihood of the amount of lean I mass know. you're losing, which can get you in that skinny fat dilemma. And you're like, I've <sighs> just suffered. I know. And like deprive myself and I feel like I look worse now. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the worst, suffering your way and actually working hard to, uh, to end up exactly not where you want to be is probably one of the worst places the I could have been. miserable places. So unrewarding. <sighs> I think another thing on that too is that if this is a if crash dieting and weight cycling is a thing that you've engaged in yes. with this. You've also probably never trained in a fed state. Yes. So you might not see resistance training in a good light because you're always deprived while mm-hmm. you're doing it or a cardio as well. And you might also only associate exercise with dieting. So and you're burning like, calories. why would I do this? If you're not yeah. if you're not losing weight, why would I do it? Yes. And then you over you undervalue the health role and mental health and the um, preservative role of your health over time that exercise has independent of weight. Yeah. So that's kind of like the reasons why we don't recommend this and some t- some reasons why you might end up in that skinny fat dilemma where you're like, where do I go from here? Absolutely. So let's talk about what we recommend instead and kind of some practices that you can apply to your own workouts if this resonates with you to kind of maximize building muscle while optimizing your body fat percentage. So this is my wheelhouse. This is. We love a recomp. You've been like recomping slowly for years. I know, and I've been recomping my clients <laughs> because you some, train mostly women. Yes, right? so I mostly work with women, and I find that a lot of the time, women will come to me after dieting on and off for years, um, after not really achieving the results that they want, and they kind of get to this point where they're like, "I think the only way to achieve my goals." is to lose another 10, 15, whatever it is, pounds. And the moment we start coaching, I warn them from the offset that that's not how we're going to play this game. Yeah. Because one more diet is not going to yield a different result than it yielded the last time you did it. Yeah, you're not one diet away. No. 
Um, so the process of body recomp is actually so interesting and so rewarding because the goal isn't to see that scale drop as quickly as possible. Your priorities completely shift in a recomp. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You're essentially trying to build muscle. Yes. While potentially losing some body fat or trying to lose body fat while trying to build muscle. Yes. And the more, we'll talk about this on a spectrum, but the more advanced you are and the leaner you are, the less likely that will happen. It still can happen, but you got to dot your I's and cross your T's and the magnitude of recomp will still probably be quite small as you get leaner and more advanced. Not just small, (laughs) but I think slow. Yeah. Let's call it slow. Yeah. Because over time, like if you're always pushing for progressive overload and da 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 da, like you will build muscle very slowly. It's just painfully slow. Yeah, 100%. Like years and years and years. So the first thing I would say is lifting as the main focus of your training. And if you're coming from more of this um, the cardio bunny background. Cardio, that's a good name. Uh, cardio bunny, crash dieting, weight cycling. It's mm-hmm. it's less likely that you've really prioritized strength training, or yes. you might have done some resistance training, but in like circuits and not really trying to optimize Great performance classes. and not trying to get strong. Yes, we're actually recommending you trying to get strong as fuck. Yeah, being like I am trying to be a beast. I'm like trying to get have- jacked. Like you have a powerlifting competition in one year from now. Yeah, or a yeah. bodybuilding competition. Go for it. Yeah. Here's the thing. This is going to scare some folks. Yeah. I promise you, you won't get super jacked. Oh my God. I've been trying for like <laughs> Yo, I've six been trying, years. I've been trying since <laughs> I was grade eight. I've been trying since 2008. Yeah, no. And I'm pretty jacked, but I also, I don't have this incredible physique where I can't fit through the door. Yeah, no. I mean, I, some would describe me as a small woman. A very small woman. <laughs> I'm still a small woman. But like, you're muscular? And yeah. You're and I move some big weights yeah, you do. compared to my body size and that's exciting and I train in a way where I'm constantly pushing it a little bit further and like the goal is to get 1% better every day and when you're recomping that becomes so much more important 100% because yeah. you you train now if you were to gain 50 pounds which whatever that's yeah, fine cool. you'd still train yeah. Because you don't train solely for the reason of no. like maintaining a body fat percentage. You train for the, you, you're invested in it because your performance and being capable is all driving you towards being attached to exercise yep. and valuing it outside of the lens of yes. how your body looks. Makes me feel good and powerful. But indirectly, it makes your body look more like the way you want it to look. Absolutely. Right? So train like you're trying to get jacked. Yeah. Is the number one train thing. Train like you're Arnold. Yeah. Train like you've never been sold diet culture. <laughs> yes, you know, that's like, a great train. Like you've never been sold diet culture. I wish we we should actually name the title of this podcast. I want to make that a T-shirt. That's a fu- oh yo. If we ever do merch, that's number one. A hundred percent. You want a shirt? Yeah, call me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, second, I'd say is kind of, so the Batman of this situation is lifting training. Right. Yeah. There, there are some Robins and some Batwomans and some whatever is in that. Why are we less than Batman yeah I guess in the comics they're Ooh, equal they're, they're equal, equal. They're, they're equal in value See? but within the narrative uh, of the story he's the main character fine right or Catwoman I don't know which one it is Catwoman whatever the, the ancillary characters of Batman are still valuable they're just not they're not the the agonist right the agonist is lifting yes. now the second one is higher protein intakes Yep. That's going to be super important while recomping. Um, it's not. It's never going to take precedent over lifting. Yes. It's just an mm-hmm. additional thing. 
Um, the scale we kind of use is about 0.7 to yeah. 1.1 grams per pound of body uh, mass per day. Yes. Um, the scale is contingent on a couple things. The larger you are and the higher body fat percentage you have, you're going to hover on the lower scale. Mm-hmm. For 300 pounds, don't eat one gram of protein per body weight per day. <laughs> no. That's too much. You could probably be in the 0.6 to 0.7 range there and you'll be hitting optimal takes. Yep. Um, and this doesn't really fit well sometimes with like very tall and larger folks. Um, you don't need to be eating 400 grams of protein. No. So with that, that's kind of the scale. And then as you get leaner mm-hmm. and you're more trained and you're um, – more advanced, you'd probably hover on the higher end of that. Yes. So wherever you fit on that scale, that's kind of where I'd go. And it's not a rigid scale. Yes. 0.6 isn't going to kill your gains and 1.2 isn't going to give you kidney problems. No. It's just probably not giving you any extra benefit yes. to go above I mean, it. Personally, I jacked my protein up the past year and like it's so anecdotal. Like how can I possibly say that that's helped or not? Yeah. I mean, it hasn't hurt. It hasn't hindered. Yeah. I am. I just did my blood work this past week. And even with the COVID and all the health issues I've had as of late, I am a healthy, healthy person, even though my protein is quite up on the high end. It's not yeah. like there was any protein in the kidneys or in no, my, no. there was nothing in my urine. Um, all of the biomarkers that would yeah. indicate that we're doing well. So yeah, like I'm, a, I'm on the smaller end. I'm only five feet tall. Um, and even my protein uh, was jacked up to like between 140 and 160 grams a day. So you're like 1.3. Yeah. Yeah. I was going off of Chris Barricott's recommendations. Yeah. Um, and that's, so to touch on that, yeah. the, the the range I gave is about 0.7 to 1.1. And that's based off a lot of evidence. And if you follow some evidence-based fitness uh, professionals, you've probably heard that range before. Um, it's usually in kilos, like 1.6 to 2.2 kilo, yes. kilograms. So that's the, the normal range. But going above it as Chris Barricat, who was, he, him and Jeff Nipper wrote a book on recomping. Yes. Um, exploring at higher ranges, there's some small evidence that it might benefit. It's not enough for us to be like, hey, this is the new this recommendation. But if you want to play with it, go for yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I mean. I covered a paper where someone, their people were having two grams of protein per day. They were getting, but they didn't get anything anything extra out yeah. of it. There's just diminishing no, returns at some point yeah, because, it, like, you always have to kind of think of it as like, unless you're in a surplus and your calories are high and abundant, you don't have that yeah. much room. Like, it's we want to be advantageous where with where we're partitioning our calories. Yeah. So if we know that your fats need to be at a certain minimum range um, for like healthy hormones and da 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 that we then want protein set at a certain number, but that also carbs are going to be more advantageous to our training. So there's like a lot to sort of play around with. And if you jack your protein up like excessively high while you're dieting, then you don't have as much room for the fats and the carbs, right? So we want to be a little bit more strategic. So it's not always the most advantageous. Yeah. Um, I was going through my recomp um, more towards my maintenance range. So... For me, I had many calories to play with. Yeah. And she's so, very active. Yeah, it it was possible. For some people, that might be too big of a compromise. Yes, a hundred percent. That's that's a great point. Some people are like, jack up your protein super high, no. but you're on low calories. And I'm like, well, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yes. And Peter's your carbohydrate and fat intake, and you gotta pay Paul, and you're not really getting the benefits of paying Paul so much. You wanna yes. pay Paul. You wanna pay protein. Yeah. Um, but you don't need to overpay protein. Yes. It's, it's not likely gonna be a huge thing. But there's some context where it could, could matter. Yes. Um, secondly, if you're aiming to lose body fat, 
more of a moderate deficit is probably going to be at a more, more appropriate target. Yes. 10 to 20% um, of a deficit for maintenance is kind of a good target here. Mm-hmm. Now, you can go higher if you are less trained mm-hmm. or have more body fat percentage. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the scale there. So there was one study actually where like uh, it was on men. So take this with a yeah. grain of salt. Might not apply to women to the same or different age groups. It was like kind of like younger yeah. men. Um, but they were on the higher, um, they were overweight and they were on a huge calorie deficit. Okay. I think it was 40% dropped from maintenance, which is a huge deficit. That's miserable. Uh, they were training their asses off six times per week. One group had 0.6 grams of protein and per uh, pound and one group had one gram. So it was like double or 0.5 to 0.5 for the small group, one for the high group. And the high group actually gained muscle on a huge calorie deficit with super high protein. These guys were untrained, training yeah, their asses off. Right? So that's a context where it's like, hey, they have extra body fat to lose and they're going, they're training like six days a week. So that's not really that realistic. Mm-hmm. But if you are going to go into a deeper deficit because you have more body fat to lose mm-hmm. or in just in general, you might want to keep your protein a little bit higher. Yeah. So on that range, maybe go up to 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9 if you yeah. need. Um, but that's more of an extra case there. But we recommend like 10 to 20%. Yeah. The leaner you are, the more conservative you'd go, more in that 10 to 15 range. And the more body fat percentage, you go up to 15, 20, maybe even up to 30 if you had higher body fat percentage. Yeah. Because you also don't want your deficit to be so large that you're crushing your training. I know. And with um, women and hormones and menstrual cycles, it's just usually like long term, not the best idea. Like yeah. we want to reserve a little bit of energy. We want to keep our hormones happy and healthy and we want our bodies to be signaling to our brains that we are not in a time of famine yeah. or extreme energy crisis. Yeah, Sammy's the better one to talk about that kind of <sighs> stuff. Like um, low energy availability. It's crazy to see how quickly that can manifest in a woman's body when women crash diet. Yeah. yeah. I've also learned recently, uh, we usually associate it with leaner women. Yes. But it's not necessarily the case. You can be at a higher body fat percentage. And if you just crash diet, you might increase your likelihood of experiencing low energy availability. Oh, my God. All it takes is for your body to signal to your brain, hey, we're in a time of famine. We don't have abundant resources. We are not getting the energy that we need for you to be healthy and happy and safe. Life is scarce. Yeah. And then your body goes, "Eh, let's conserve some energy maybe sex and reproduction are not an essential thing to partake in at the moment. And yeah. it's it's really quick for some people. It is not body fat dependent. You cannot tell based off of somebody's physical appearance whether no. they're healthy or not, whether yeah. they're reproductively active or not. And that's like a very common misconception in society. So I'm going to I'm gonna let that go Yeah, because I could talk for a month. <laughs> go yeah. on. Yeah, so like if you are... <laughs> A cisgender woman, or you're yes. someone who has um, menstrual cycle. menstrual cycle. Yes, uh, you're definitely going to want to use that as some metric of hey, if that starts, even if you're at a higher body fat percentage, um, if you start noticing that it becomes irregular, or you have amenorrhea where you lose your yes. cycle completely, that is something that you can be like, yo, this is probably too intense of a diet program, training yep. program. That is a good feedback tool you can use. It's just a signal that there is a there's too big of a mismatch between your input and your output. Yeah. That's all. And uh, for anyone who's, who doesn't have that, um, we don't have that feedback tool. But yes. even like for cis men or anyone who doesn't have an, uh, um, a menstrual cycle. There we go. Um, who does a menstrual cycle. Um, libido can also be used. General yes. mood. There's other symptoms. We're, I'm not an expert on it, but um, it is something that is real um, and should be monitored. For women, we want to see when you're dieting, it's important to 
track your cycle and mark the regularity of it. And for men, one of the ways that we can kind of assess the efficacy or the intensity or the stress you're putting on your body from a diet is actually with your uh, morning wood. So if you're waking up in the morning during a diet period and you're starting to notice that more mornings than not, you're not waking up with the usual rhythm of life. Yeah. Let's go get the hormones checked out by a doctor. Blood panel is probably step one. Yeah. And on, honestly, for for anyone who is getting super lean, that's just going to happen. Yeah. So if it's you're, true. If anyone who's a physique athlete, um, whether you are, whether you have a menstruation cycle or um, you have male sexual anatomy, it's just going to get fucked up. Getting super lean ain't that healthy. Nope. Um, so this is just kind of for general people. Yes. Um, it shouldn't unless yes. you're getting dangerously low or on, you're just crash dieting too hard. Mm-hmm. Another thing with going too low with calories, I wanted to mention a recent research paper. is a mm-hmm. meta-analysis of several studies. Mm-hmm. And it was on older population without high protein intake. So there's a lot of grains of salt to mm-hmm. this uh, meta-analysis. But basically they saw when they piled all the data that past five, like 500, at 500 calories or more of a deficit, yeah. it seemed to pretty much blunt gains in lean mass. God, that's depressing. Now that doesn't mean it will for everyone. This yeah, was an yeah, older yeah. population, so they're less primed to build muscle mm-hmm. and they weren't in protein-matched diets. Mm-hmm. So they might have not been eating, they're probably eating normal amounts, True. not like fitness industry amounts or mm-hmm. optimization amounts. This kind of just goes hand in hand with the larger your deficit, the less likelihood you'll recomp mm-hmm. um, or the harder it will be too, right? So you want to make it more of a manageable deficit if this is your goal. And if you've been suffering from crash dieting, weight cycling, yes. this is something you want to take to heart too. So absolutely, 10 to 20% is probably a good range to be. The more conservative, yeah, the more conservative you go, the better. Like I have not seen great results from crash dieting more often than not, to be honest. Um, Not personally, not professionally. Yeah, no, I've... So, can't recommend it. I had one client recently who crash dieted. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, Who was a man, for the record. A single man. Yeah. With disposable income, and he also is what you would call a hard gainer. Yeah. Or I would say he has a... His body has a high defense of fat gain. Yeah, So there's... Some people have a low defense mechanism of fat gain and some people have a high. There is defense mechanisms of weight loss and weight gain. It just seems that we have better defense mechanisms against weight loss because fat loss is more dangerous in in general for human history. Mm -hmm. Famine killed a lot of people um, than weight gain. It's more of a new phenomenon Mm -hmm. where such high levels of body fatness has become a health problem. That is a very new phenomenon in the history of human human beings. So we are better at defending weight loss than weight gain. But some people are better at defending weight gain than others. And the way that manifests is that if you give them extra calories, they'll just burn them. They're going to burn them. Some people, if you give them extra calories, they'll store them more likely. Mm -hmm. And there's there's a lot of things behind that. And I'm no expert in this, but this is a phenomenon. Yes. And for some people, it might just like, when we started this podcast, I mentioned Dylan calls me a bouncy, fidgety person. Typically, the higher my calories are, the more I bounce and fidget yep. because my body goes, ooh, we got an abundance of energy. Let's go burn some. It's not conscious. It's not a yeah. thought process and it's not a choice. It is an automatic response to having more food in my system. Yeah. Your brain and, your brain senses yeah. your energy availability. Yep. And if it's low, it's going to be like, yeah, let's chill. Let's reserve it. Probably don't need to have sex. Yep. You ain't making babies right now. Just go sleep. Chill. 
But if you're given extra, you're more likely to move more. Yes. And there is differences in individuals. Some people, they just fucking buzz. And some people, they might move a little more. It's funny because in listening to like physique competitors on their podcasts, I remember learning through actually from uh, Lane Norton. Yeah, he talks about this. He was talking about how his wife, Holly, whenever she um, gets really close to her competition date, he notices that she actually starts to blink less and (laughs) slower because your body will literally try to conserve any energy output possible. Any. And that's not something you can control. You cannot control the number of times you blink in a day, but you don't realize that it's all those little movements that add up. And for some people, it'll swing in the opposite direction. Yeah. So- that's so back to my client. Yes. He's what I would say. He has a high defense against weight gain mm-hmm. left to his own devices. He'll actually lose weight. So yeah. he'll make sure he's eating enough. And he eats high protein mm-hmm. and he has, he doesn't have kids. He doesn't have a wife. He has a lot of free time. He's got disposable income. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I've trained you for a long time. I know how you work. Yeah, let's do it. Let's monitor it. Yeah. So he went pretty low calories, probably about a thousand calorie deficit per day. And he's not large. Oh. So yeah. it's not like he had a ton of body fat to lose. And he did it for a few weeks, lost a lot of weight and then went back to maintenance yeah. and kept it off. This is something that isn't going to be sustainable for a lot of people. For most. Um, for most people, honestly. Yeah. And if I didn't know him very well, I wouldn't have been like, I wouldn't have co-signed on yeah. it. Um, but he did it pretty well. And like that is something that can happen. But again, he lifted the whole time. He maintained his, he had a DEXA scan too. So yeah. he maintained his muscle mass quite well. But he ate super high protein. But he even said, he's like, dude, this high protein on this low calories is miserable. It's miserable, I mean, right? tune out of a can. Like, that's the kind Ew. of shit you got to do, actually, at that point. I mean, okay. So let's go over one more time because we do have one thing left on what I'm going to call the recomp hierarchy of needs because yeah. I like that. That's cool. Okay. So hierarchy of needs, the base of that is lifting as a main focus of your training, right? With the intent to get strong and build yes. muscle. Number two you want to jack up your protein. Yep. And that scale is 0.7 to 1.1 grams for most people. Perfect. We want a 10 to 20% drop from maintenance. So that's your calorie deficit. And then the last one is actually prioritizing your sleep and recovery. Yeah. And I know that the moment that left my mouth, you rolled your eyes. Find the defendant guilty. I can see you. Like I can feel Feel it because everybody's like, who cares? Sleep and recovery, not important. It's so important. It's literally equally as important to your training. If you want your training to actually do something, if you want to make adaptations, you're going to have to recover from it. Yeah. And part of that is sleep. Part of that is quality sleep. So I'm sorry to all the parents out there because I know that that's a little harder to come by for you guys. No, that is really hard for it's it's a practical concern for a lot of people. And understandably so. This the system that we run in right now is very work focused. It's it's take, 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 take. And it's yes. also it's been um, role modeled by a lot of leaders, notable presidents. There's mm-hmm. a lot of CEOs, et cetera, et cetera, who always say, Yeah, I don't I sleep four hours a night. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Dumb I shit. used to say that. Dumb shit. I thought that was like the peak of independence. I was like, I am so so yeah. independent. I will sleep when I'm dead. I don't even need that shit. Yeah. Oh my God, do I need sleep? Yeah. I need a minimum of eight hours yeah, you a re- night. You really do. <laughs> or I'm a monster. Yeah. But it's also because I spent years not prioritizing my sleep. 
And not only did I not really make the gains I'd hoped for, but I was chronically unrecovered. Like yeah. I would go into every single session sore from the session before. Yeah. Every single one. I didn't prioritize my recovery in any meaningful way. I didn't prioritize my sleep in any meaningful way. And I didn't prioritize rest days in any meaningful yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. So That's I, not just sleep. It's like, as it's you're pointing the out. the trifecta. Yeah. And it meant that like I was basically shooting myself in the foot when yeah. it came to my strength training. I feel like I wasted two years in a way yeah. because I didn't do any of the things that would actually yield the adaptation that I desired. hundred percent. And I, we talked about, we talk about control a lot. Sometimes you gotta let go of control. You yeah. can't train all, you can't train every day. Oh my God. You, you gotta let go of control a little bit and that's part of recovery. Yes. And honestly, you'll probably feel better if you work on that. That's easier said than done. Yes. But working on managing your stress and recovery can be super helpful. Yeah. Um, in just improving your recovery. And in improving your body composition. Yeah. So ultimately. There's, there's one study that comes to mind, heavily yeah. cited. Um, oh, I love that study. Yeah. So there was, um, it was in larger people. So overweight and obese folks, I think it was in Chicago. Yeah. And they weren't training, which is a big caveat yeah. of this study, of course, and they weren't on a high-protein diet. But it was a crossover design, so they both – everyone did both the 8.5 hours of sleep mm -hmm. per night and 5.5 just over a washout period. So you do yeah. one, you do five and a half hours for two weeks, wait a month, do the 8.5, and then they mm -hmm. compile the data. So weight – and they were put on an energy-restricted diet too. So they were intentionally losing weight. Yes. And they were sleeping in the lab, so everything was yeah. monitored. All their meals were given to them. And they were gather given eight and a half hours to sleep, which means mm -hmm. they didn't always sleep eight and a half hours. Maybe they mm -hmm. got eight, and or they were given. But they five were allotted. Yeah. Yes, they were given that much time. Yeah. So weight loss was similar. I think it was about three kilograms on average. Very yeah. similar between groups, yeah. which makes sense. But the actual percentage of weight lost was a lot different. So yes. it was statistically significant. So it's not just up to random error, but the magnitude was also quite meaningful too. So given this was only fourteen days, um, one group lost. If I got my numbers right here, about three three kilograms was on average what was lost, but fifty six percent of it was from body fat in five point five hours of sleep. Yeah, the the eight point five hours lost fifty six percent from body fat, mm -hmm. and the um, fifty five point five time in bed only lost twenty five percent. Yeah, so there was a lot less body fat loss. Yeah, in that group compared to the actual lean body mass lost. Now, if they would have been training and eating protein, that might have changed it. But in general, less sleep is typically going to have you losing more lean body mass yes. and less body fat mass, even if you're losing the same amount of weight. Yeah, I was going to say, say that in non-science jargon. If you lose, if you're, <laughs> it's, <laughs> okay, um, you might lose three pounds. Yeah. But if you're under-rested, say you're getting five hours a night, more of it is going to be, more of it is likely going to be from lean body mass, so muscle mass, yes. et cetera, et cetera, than it would be from fat. And if you get more sleep, Thank you. you're probably going to lose a higher percentage of body fat mass. Yes. And you know what? I wouldn't have believed that. And yeah, of course, we have the studies to prove it. That's fine. I genuinely wouldn't have believe it, believed it if I didn't live it, firstly, and if I didn't see so many other people live it. Yeah. Especially when you like are more into, because for a while I was a little bit more on like the physique competitor side of coaching. Yeah. And that was like my interest. I wanted to like really understand how to take somebody to a stage. Yeah. When you're dialed in for a show and you have a very finite period of time to lose X amount of body fat and it matters because you're being judged for it. Yeah. Sleep becomes one of the most important things. And the truth is like 
do we do our practice based off of what physique competitors do? No, of course not. But they're the most extreme end. Yeah, yeah. I like you know that. what I mean? Like they are the most extreme end. So yes, we can actually learn a lot from them. And just because, dial it back. Yes. To fit the average gym goer. Yeah. The 100%. average I just want to be healthy kind of human like us. Yeah. Um, because we are by no means competing for stage. But we prioritize our sleep and our rest and recovery the same way we would if we were. Yeah. So yeah, there's data to support that. But there's yeah. also like there's also other things to think about. So if you're sleeping less, the likelihood that you're going to be able to train harder might be down. Oh, my God. Your, your ability, ability to, to make decisions around supporting your diet might be hindered. To regulate your damn appetite. To regulate your appetite. Oh. These things are all going to ha- potentially have a cascade effect of negative yes. impacts on your workouts and your decision-making around food that might not support your goals. And the way you feel around food. Like, yeah. this kind of connects with the hormones again, where like your brain chemistry is going to change when you are both underfed and underslept and under recovered. Yeah. Um, so it's not even just about like making worse choices because you're tired, but because like your body is now making automatic decisions for you. Like it's not about white knuckling it through that choice. It doesn't feel like a choice anymore. You're always constrained by the yeah. internal doings of your body. Yes. Um, and you can't technically control that no, too much. Like, but you can do things that can make it easier. And getting enough sleep is one. Yes. Exercising is one. All these things are going to help. And it's little things. Like it's not just about controlling your appetite. It's also like the feeling of hunger when yeah. you're underslept is actually going to be much stronger and louder and more present than if you're well slept. Yeah. And you might be more likely to reach for yeah. the rewarding foods, right? Yes. People who are tired and hungry, it's not like they're reaching for extra broccoli. Um, you're typically going to re- reach for food that would be called hedonic, yes. right? So pleasurable, um, rewarding. Energetically dense. Yes. And that's the good shit. So those Ugh, things are probably going to have low shit. protein too. So, and if you're on limited calories, there's just a whole feedback that yes. sleep can have an impact on. So sleeping enough and prioritizing recovery is also really high on that list. Um, game changing. Game changing. Um, so, I mean, if we break it down, if you're trying to ma- build muscle and you're in too big of a deficit yeah. and low protein, under recovered, <laughs> and stressed yeah the ability like if we get rid of the other effects like Mm -hmm. you need adequate protein you need to be recovered your ability to just train hard is going to be really sabotaged oh god is it ever right so these things have a huge impact on that and that's kind of like the 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 hierarchy that we would put yeah um if you want to summarize it again which is more just about like setting yourself up for success instead of failure yes yeah so with with if you're in that kind of skinny fat dilemma Yes. Um, or you're aiming to recomp. It kind of goes with both ways here. Lifting, as Sam said, that's that's the meat and potatoes. Trying to get strong, build muscle. That's mm-hmm. that's and, and everything extra. Would be like you do some cardio on top of it too, but it's more yeah. extra ancillary. Um, and, and again, then, that's something to manage when it comes to recovery. Yes, adequate protein intakes about zero point seven to one point one grams of protein per day is going to be the good range for most people. Mm-hmm. More manageable deficits anywhere between ten to twenty. And if you're on a if you are at a much higher body fat percentage, you can flirt with the higher ranges too. Yeah. Just use that spectrum. And then getting enough sleep, prioritizing your stress recoveries, taking rest days. Yeah, you don't need to train five days per week. Anything that's going to help you with that, that's going to be the best strategy. Yeah. There's no supplements involved, right? There's no you know there's what? no hacks involved. I'm going to add one in, an intelligently designed training program. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just so that you can manage your recovery to make sure that you are aiming for progressive overload, 
all the things. There's so many reasons. Which I heard there's this new uh, fitness company who's like blowing up. What? Yeah, they're blowing up. I can't they, tell they, if you're they unlock the me. secret to programming and getting strong and building muscle. I knew you were trolling. Me. I think it's called Five Elements Coaching. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not that big of shells, but we can no. we can intelligently design programs for yes. that. Um, hashtag capitalism. But yes. an intelligent intelligently designed program is also super important there yeah. too. So we're good. Yeah. We covered it all. If you have any questions about this topic, I also did write a pretty lengthy article, which I can put in the link uh, show notes if you want more of a written form. And it was really good. Oh, thank you, baby. And you can join our Facebook community group and ask yes. some questions. Uh, we're going to eventually pay more attention to it and get more engagement, but yes. you can only do so many things at once. <sighs> um, and yeah. thanks, as always, for listening. This was, an, this was an enjoyable episode for us. We always wanted to talk about this topic. Yeah, I just, honestly, my hesitation was in the name. Yeah, Skinny Fat is a problematic name. I hate the word. I find it inherently shaming in a way, which might be my own problem, too. Well, it, it it kind of works on the framework that both are bad. Yes, and it's right. Like, well, neither are bad. They just they are. You can have high are. levels of fatness or be quite lean. Yeah. Or under muscular. They're not bad. I feel shaming. Hundred percent. It's never said in a good way. I never said it in a positive way no. about myself. No one's ever like, right? yeah, I'm skinny fat. I, I own I'm that shit. Fat. That's a W great. for me. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, so I mean, honestly, if this is something that you're struggling with or thinking about. The reality is not only have I done it, not only has Dylan done it, but we've had countless clients who have gone through this process. And the truth is they usually end up so happy with the way that they're going yeah. that they don't want to go back to a diet, yeah. which is like the most rewarding win as a coach. I can't even begin. I'm like, you're just enjoying training 100%. and eating enough and you just feel good. It's just uh, life changing. I think I'll end this by quoting a great philosopher. Oh, um, no. Train as if you were never engulfed in diet culture. I love that. Samantha Bender, 2022. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening. Um, we're going to pop everything in the show notes. Yeah. Um, we appreciate you guys so much, truly. Yeah. Um, all of your comments and feedback and all the love, truly. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers.